Section eleven of the Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens. Chapters twenty one and twenty two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter twenty one. In a few minutes, Mrs. Cafferty came into the room. She was, as every woman is in the morning, primed with conversations about husbands for in the morning husbands are unwieldy morose creatures without joy without lightness lacking even the common elemental interest in their own children and capable of detestably misinterpreting the conversation of their wives it is only by mixing amongst other men that this malignant humour may be dispelled to them the company of men is like a great bath into which a husband will plunge wildly renouncing as he dives wife and children all anchors and securities of hearth and roof and from which he again emerges singularly refreshed and capable of being interested by a wife a family and a home until the next morning to many women this is a grievance amounting often to an affront and although they endeavour even by cooking to heal the singular breach they are utterly unable to do so, and perpetually seek the counsel of each other on the subject. Mrs. Cafferty had merely asked her husband would he hold the baby while she poured out his stirabout, and he had incredibly threatened to pour the stirabout down the back of her neck if she didn't leave him alone. It was upon this morning madness she had desired to consult her friend, and when she saw that Mrs. Make-Believe had gone away, her disappointment was quite evident. But this was only for a moment. Almost all women are possessed of a fine social sense in relation to other women. They are always on their best behavior towards one another. Indeed, it often seems as if they feared, and must by all possible means, placate each other by flattery humor or a serious tactfulness there is very little freedom between them because there is no real freedom or acquaintance but between things polar there is nothing but a superficial resemblance between like and like but between like and unlike there is space wherein both curiosity and spirit may go adventuring extremes must meet it is their urgent necessity, the reason for their distance, and the greater the distance between them, the swifter will be their return, and the warmer their impact. They may shatter each other to fragments, or they may fuse and become indissoluble and new and wonderful, but there is no other fertility. Between the sexes there is a really extraordinary freedom of intercourse. They meet each other something more than halfway. A man and a woman may become quite intimate in a quarter of an hour. Almost certainly they will endeavor to explain themselves to each other before many minutes have elapsed. But a man and a man will not do this, and even less so will a woman and a woman, for these are the parallel lines which never meet. The acquaintanceship of the latter, in particular, often begins and ends in an armed and calculating neutrality. They preserve their distances and each other's sufferance by the exercise of a grave social tact which never deserts them, and which, more than anything else, has contributed to build the ceremonials which are nearly one half of our civilization. It is a common belief amongst men that women cannot live together without quarreling, and that they are unable to get work done by other women 
with any of the good will which men display in the same occupations if this is true the reason should not be looked for in any intersexual complications such as fear or an accurate rivalry but only in the perpetually recurring physical disturbances to which as a sex they are subjected and as the ability and willingness of a man to use his fists in response to an affront has imposed sobriety and good humor towards each other in almost all their relations so women have placed barriers of politeness and ceremonial between their fellow-women and their own excoriated sensibilities mrs cafferty therefore dissembled her disappointment and with an increased cordiality addressed herself towards mary sitting down on the bedside she discoursed on almost every subject upon which a woman may discourse it is considered that the conversation of women while incessant in its use is rigorously bounded between the parlour and the kitchen or to be more precise between the attic and the scullery but these extremes are more inclusive than is imagined for the attic has an outlook on the stars while the scullery usually opens on the kitchen garden or the dust-heap vistas equal to horizons the mysteries of death and birth occupy women far more than is the case with men to whom political and mercantile speculations are more congenial with immediate buying and selling and all the absolute forms of exchange and barter women are deeply engaged so that the realities of trade are often more intelligible to them than to many merchants if men understood domestic economy half as well as women do then their political economy and their entire consequent statecraft would not be the futile muddle which it is it was all very interesting to mary and moreover she had a great desire for companionship at the moment if she had been left alone it might have become necessary to confront certain thoughts memories pictures from which she had a dim idea it would be wise to keep her distance her work on the previous day the girl she had met in the house the policeman from all or any of these recollections she swerved mentally she steadily rejected all impressions that touched upon these the policeman floated vaguely on her consciousness not as a desirable person not even as a person but as a distance as an hour of her childhood as a half-forgotten quaintness a memory which it would be better should never be revived indeed her faint thoughts shadowed him as a person who was dead and would never again be visible to her any more so resolutely she let him drop down into her mind to some uncomfortable obliate from whence he threatened with feeble insistence to pop up at any moment like a strange question or a sudden shame she hid him in a rosy flush which a breath could have made flame unbearably and she hid from him behind the light garrulity of mrs cafferty through which now and again as though a veil she saw the spike of his helmet a wire bristling moustache a surge of his great shoulders on these ghostly indications she heaped a tornado of words which swamped the wraith but she knew he was waiting to catch her alone and would certainly catch her and the knowledge made her hate him chapter twenty two 
Mrs. Cafferty suggested that she and Mary should go out together to purchase that day's dinner, and by the time she had draped her shoulders in a shawl, buried her head in a bonnet, cautioned all her brood against going near the fireplace, the coal-box, and the slop-bucket, cut a slice of bread for each of them, and placed each of them in charge of all the rest, Mary's more elaborate dressing was within two stages of her hat. "'Wait until you have children, my dear,' said Mrs. Cafferty. "'You won't be so pernickety then.' She further told Mary that when she was herself younger, she had often spent an hour and a half doing up her hair, and she had been so particular that the putting on of a blouse or the pinning of a skirt to a belt had tormented her happily for two hours. "'But bless you,' she roared, "'you get out of all that when you get children.' wait till you have six of them to be dressed every morning and they with some of their boots lost and the rest of them mixed up and each of them wriggling like an eel on a pan until you have to slap the devil out of them before their stocking can be got on the way they screw their toes up in the wrong places and the way they squeal when you're pinching em and the way they say you've rubbed soap in their eyes Mrs. Cafferty lifted her eyes and her hands to the ceiling in a dumb remonstrance with Providence and dropped them again forlornly, as one in whom Providence has never been really interested. "'You'll have all the dressing you want and a bit over for luck,' she said. She complimented Mary on her hair, her complexion, the smallness of her feet, the largeness of her eyes and the slenderness of her waist, the width of her hat and of her shoestrings. So impartially and inclusively did she compliment her, that by the time they went out, Mary was rosy with appreciation, and as self-confident as a young girl is entitled to be. It was a beautiful grey day, with a massy sky, which seemed as if it never could move again or change, and, as often happens in Ireland in cloudy weather, the air was so very clear that one could see to a great distance. On such days, everything stands out in sharp outline. A street is no longer a congeries of houses, huddled shamefully together and terrified, lest anyone should look at them and laugh. Each house then recaptures its individuality. The very roadways are aware of themselves, and bear their horses and cars and trams in a competent spirit, adorned with modesty as with a garland." It has a beauty beyond sunshine, for sunshine is only youth and carelessness. The impress of a thousand memories, the historic visage, becomes apparent. The quiet face which experience has ripened into knowledge and mellowed into wisdom of charity is seen then. The great social beauty shines from the streets under this sky that broods like a thoughtful forehead. While they walked, Mrs. Cafferty planned, as a general might, her campaign of shopping. Her shopping differed greatly from Mrs. Make-Believe's, and the difference was probably caused by her necessity to feed and clothe eight people as against Mrs. Make-Believe's two. Mrs. Make-Believe went to the shop nearest her house, and there entered into a staunch personal friendship with the proprietor. When she was given anything of doubtful value or material, she instantly returned and handed it back, and the prices which were first quoted to her and settled upon became to Mrs. Make-Believe an unalterable standard from which no departure would be tolerated. Eggs might go up in price for the remainder of the world, but not for her. A change of price threw Mrs. Make-Believe into so wide-eyed, so galvanic, 
so powerfully verbal in friendship shattering and anger that her terms were accepted and registered as median exactitudes mrs cafferty on the other hand knew shopkeepers as personal enemies and as foes to the human race who were bent on despoiling the poor and against whom a remorseless warfare should be conducted by all decent people her knowledge of material of quality of degrees of freshness of local and distant prices was profound in clan brazil street she would quote the prices of moore street with shattering effect and if the shopkeeper declined to revise his tariff her good-humoured voice toned so huge a disapproval that other intending purchasers left the shop impressed by the unmasking of a swindler her method was abrupt she seized an article placed it on the counter and uttered these words sixpence and not a penny more i can get it in moore street for five pence halfpenny she knew all the shops having a cheap line and some special article and therefore her shopping was of a very extended description not that she went from point to point for she continually departed from the line of battle with the remark let's try what they have here and when inside the shop her large eye took in at a glance a thousand details of stock and price which were never afterwards forgotten mrs cafferty's daughter nora was going to celebrate her first communion in a few days this is a very important ceremony for a young girl and for her mother a white muslin dress and a blue sash a white muslin hat with blue ribbons tan shoes and stockings as germane to the color of tan as may be these all have to be provided it is a time of grave concern for everybody intimately connected with the event every girl in the world has performed this ceremony they have all been clad in these garments and shoes and for a day or so all women of whatever age are in love with the little girl making her first communion perhaps more than anything else it swings the passing stranger back to the time when she was not a woman but a child with present gaiety and curiosity and a future all expectation and adventure therefore the suitable apparelling of one's daughter is a public duty and every mother endeavors to do the thing that is right and live if only for one day up to the admiration of her fellow creatures it was a trial but an enjoyable one to mrs cafferty and mary this matching of tan stockings with tan shoes the shoes were bought and then an almost impossible quest began to find stockings which would exactly go with them thousands of boxes were opened ransacked and waved aside without the absolute color being discovered from shop to shop and from street to street they went and the quest led them through grafton street in route to a shop where months before mrs cafferty had seen stockings of a color so nearly approximating to tan that they almost might be suitable as they went past the college and entered the winding street mary's heart began to beat she did not see any of the traffic flowing up and down or the jostling busy foot passengers nor did she hear the eager lectures of her companion her eyes were straining up the street towards the crossing she dared not turn back or give any explanation to mrs cafferty and in a few seconds she saw him gigantic calm the adequate monarch of his world his back was turned to her and the great sweep of his shoulders his solid legs his red neck and close-cropped wiry hair were visible to her strangely 
she had a peculiar feeling of acquaintness and of aloofness intimate knowledge and a separation of sharp finality caused her to stare at him with so intent a curiosity that mrs cafferty noticed it that's a fine man said she he won't have to go about looking for girls as she spoke they passed by the policeman and mary knew that when her eyes left him his gaze almost automatically fell upon her she was glad that he could not see her face she was glad that mrs cafferty was beside her had she been alone she would have been tempted to walk away very quickly almost to run but her companion gave her courage and self-possession so that she walked gallantly but her mind was a fever she could feel his eyes raking her from head to foot she could see his great hand going up to tap his crinkly moustache these things she could see in her terrified mind but she could not think she could only give thanks to god because she had her best clothes on end of section eleven